This episode of Telegnosis and Tea contains graphic depictions of violence that some listeners may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. As well, please remember that this is a true crime. The victims' families are still alive and still impacted today. While this is a comedy podcast, we would like to remind you to be respectful of the victims and their families. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to Telling Gnosis and Tea. I'm your host, Tess. I am definitely not an alien, and spooky season is officially over. Except, as far as I know, everyone is still glued to their TVs, and the scariest uh, day of the year is still coming, or it's came already if you're listening to this later, but um, the election hasn't been called yet, or hasn't been confirmed who the next president will be, so, you know, an argument could be made that this is still scary season, spooky scary season. I hope everyone had a good Halloween. I know we usually get, well, well over 100 kids, but we had 20 to 30 this year. I think it was an estimate of like 20. So definitely not as many. Oh well, means more candy for us. So today we are talking some true crime because I know that you guys like true crime. I like true crime. As I said in the last episode, crime is kind of my forte having a criminology degree, so let's get into a true crime that I didn't actually know existed until I was listening to an episode on Bible John. It was Bible John, not Dear John, but Bible John, and it was by ATWWD Podcast. If you're interested, definitely listen to, uh, I think it was, it came out a couple weeks ago. I can't remember what the title is, but just listening to ATWWD podcast anyway, they're really good, but they had an episode on Bible John and it mentioned Peter Britton Tobin and I'd never heard of him before. So that is who we are going to look at today. Peter Britton Tobin is a serial killer. He was deemed by psychologist and criminology professor David Wilson as a psychopath and he is currently still imprisoned, but we will get to that. First, grab a cup of tea because you're going to need some warm, soothing tea for this one. And let's get into it. Peter Tobin was born in Johnstone, Renfrewshire on August 27th, 1946. He had four older sisters and three older brothers. And he was like the youngest, he was the baby of the family. Peter Tobin was such a problem child that by 1953, when he was seven years old, he was sent to an approved school. Uh, I had to look up what an approved school is because we don't have them in North America, but an approved school um, in Scotland is a boarding school for children who had committed crimes, kind of like juvie here, but it was also for children who are deemed beyond parental control. Peter Tobin was out of control. After his time in the approved school, he reportedly joined the French Foreign Legion, but then later deserted. He served some time in Borstal, which is a youth detention facility. Most of his crimes were petty crimes, stealing, things like that. Oh, there's a truck in the background. Don't know if you could hear that. Somebody was angry on the highway. When Tobin turned 23, 
he moved to Brighton, Sussex. Okay, I don't know if you can hear the truck going nuts in the background, but uh, that is super loud. Anyway, when Tobin was 23, he moved to Brighton, Sussex, where he married Margaret Louise Robertson Mount Mountney. Margaret really Margaret Mar. Oh, good golly, Margaret Louise Robertson Mountney, who was 17 at the time in August of 1969. Margaret describes her time with Tobin. He would lock her in rooms all day, not allow her to leave the house without him. She is quoted as saying, He got me a black Labrador puppy, but I hadn't had brute long when he cut off his head while I was at the shops and threw it out of the window. I found boys in the yard using the head as a football. And this is the beginning, folks. Eventually, he raped her three or four times before stabbing Margaret, inserting the knife, quote, inside of her and cutting her internally. He then left her for dead until a neighbor saw blood coming through the ceiling of their apartment and called the authorities. Margaret survived, but she was left being unable to bear children. She was unable to separate from him until a year later when he was jailed for a series of thefts she was finally able to divorce him in 1971. In 1973, Tobin was 26, and he married 30-year-old Sylvia Jeffries, a local nurse. Together, they had one son and one daughter, who unfortunately died soon after birth from breathing difficulties. The marriage to Sylvia was described also as violent, and only lasted three years, until 1976 when Sylvia left with her son quickly, going into refuge and then a safe house to escape the grasps of Tobin. In 1987 or 89, it was a little hard to find in the, it was a little hard to find in records. There's records of both 1987 or 1989. However, Tobin, it was around that time that Tobin married Kathy Wilson, whom he had met at a dance hall and who was 16 at the time when he married her. 16. Even if it was 1987, Tobin was 41 at the time when he married Kathy Wilson, who was 16. They had a son, later the same year, named Daniel. The couple moved to Bathgate, West Lothian in 1990, but Kathy left Tobin that same year. Kathy said, quote, He was all sweetness until he had me where he wanted me. Once I was pregnant, he changed and used Daniel to control me. It was always threats to kill or hurt Daniel if I left. He would even pick him up and mimic throwing him on the floor. I felt like a prisoner." Unquote. All three of his wives gave accounts of falling for a charming, well-dressed psychopath who turned violent and sadistic during their marriages, and they were short marriages. In May 1991, Tobin moved to Margate, Kent. Then in 1993, Tobin moved to Havant, Hampshire to be near his youngest son, Daniel. On August 4th, 1993, Tobin attacked two 14-year-old girls in his flat in Leigh Park, Havant. It's unsure, I'm unsure whether it was because they had come to visit a neighbor who wasn't home at the time and went to Tobin's flat to ask if they could wait there, or if they were taking care of his infant son. It sounds poss possibly like it's more likely that they were taking care of his infant son. Nonetheless, it doesn't change what happened after. Tobin held the girls at knife point. He forced them to drink strong cider and vodka and take sedatives. Tobin then assaulted and raped the girls, stabbing one of the girls while his youngest son was present. He then turned on the gas taps, gas taps and left the two girls for dead, but they survived the attack. Tobin went into hiding. 
after this by joining the Jesus Fellowship, which is a religious sect in Coventry under a false name. He was caught, however, in Brighton when his blue Austin Metro car was found there in May of 1994. On May 18, 1994, Tobin pled guilty at the Winchester Crown Court and received a 14-year prison sentence for the assault and the rape of the girls, of which he served 10 years. Tobin was released in 2004 from prison and returned to Paisley when he was 58 years old at that time. In Paisley, he made a friend. They often watched football together with the friend's girlfriend, Cheryl McLaughlin. One day, Tobin invited Cheryl to come and watch TV alone with him, which she accepted as they were friends and he had gone, or she had gone over with her boyfriend many times to watch football with him. Quote, I looked down the side of the seat and there was a belt and a tie. I thought he was going to tie me up. When she tried to leave, Tobin attacked her with a knife. After fighting, she left with a cut hand. This made Cheryl spiral into depression. Cheryl said, quote, I'm not in a good place. I don't like to think about the attack or him if I can help it. Drink helps me blot it out. I've moved around a lot to different houses. I don't know what I'm trying to escape. Maybe him. I had trouble sleeping after it happened and was stressed. I just couldn't cope. I did check to see if he faced charges because of this attack, but I wasn't able to find any sort of charges that he might have faced after this attack. I really hope he did, but I get the feeling that possibly he did not. In which case, I am sorry, Cheryl. In September 2006, Tobin assumed the name Pat McLaughlin, which I'm really hoping was not based off of Cheryl McLaughlin's last name. I mean, they're spelled differently, but that's I didn't even realize that until now how close they are. But anyway, Tobin in September 2006 began working at St. Patrick's Roman Catholic Church in Anderson, Glasgow as a handyman. He was going by the fake name since his real name was, of course, still on the violent and sex offender register after the rape and assault of the two girls. And a warrant was out for his arrest in November 2005 since he had moved without notifying the police. Eventually, he did receive a further 30-month sentence for breaching the terms of this register, but that is that wasn't until 2007 when they finally caught up with him. While he was working at the St. Patrick's Church, Angelica Kluge, who was a 23-year-old student from Poland, was staying at the presbytery of the St. Patrick's Church. She was working at the church as a cleaner to help finance her Scandinavian studies that she was taking at the University of Gdansk. Gdansk. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's G-D-A-N-S-O-N-T-E-G-U-S-K. Gdansk. It's probably like not even close to that. It's probably like Dansk or something. But uh, I like Gdansk. Feel free to let me know what it is, but I'm going to go with that. <clears throat> Moving on. On September 24th, 2006, Angelica was last seen in the company of Tobin, and never again. She was assisting Tobin with painting a shed. Tobin, who was still going by Pat, disappeared after Angelica went missing, and on September 28th, 2006, police released a sketch of Pat. The next day, September 29th, Angelica's body was found concealed in an underground chamber beneath the floor close to the confessional of the church. Her body was found to have been bound, gagged, raped, stabbed 16 times, and bludgeoned in the head repeatedly. Forensics believe that, despite all of this, she was somehow still alive when her body was placed into that hole. DNA evidence showed that this was not in fact the friendly caretaker Pat, but the violent sex offender Patrick Tobin. 
Tobin was arrested shortly after on October 1st, being found in London at a hospital where he was admitted under a false name and with a fake medical complaint. And this seems to, uh, also going back and rereading my notes, this seems to be something that he does a lot, is make fake medical complaints, and I'm not sure why, I haven't really read anything about it, but it does come up again later. He was taken back to Scotland to be questioned. At the High Court of Justiciary, Edinburgh, a six-week trial took place between March 23rd and May 4th of 2007. The defense held in the trial that the sexual activity was consensual, and Tobin had not ra raped Angelica and fully denied killing her. This was found to be false. There was a ton of forensic evidence, a ton of forensic evidence, including jeans soaked in Angelica's blood found in a wheelie bin, Tobin's DNA in her underwear, and on the kitchen cloth that was stuffed in her mouth, and Tobin's fingerprints were all over the crime scene. Like, all over the crime scene, including on items found with the body. Tobin was convicted of the rape and murder of Angelica Kluck, and sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of 21 years. It was during the sentencing that presiding judge Lord Menzies described Tobin as, quote, an evil man. Which, yeah. This prompted and began Operation Anagram by police to look into what other stuff Tobin had done. And wouldn't you know it, one of the most infamous missing person cases was linked to Tobin. Vicki Hamilton was described as being a warm, clever, and generous girl. On February 10th, 1991, 15-year-old Vicki was waiting for a bus, and that's the last time she was ever seen. Operation Anagram decided to look into his old house in Bathgate in connection to this disappearance. On July 21st, 2007, Lothian and Borders Police released a statement that they had arrested, cautioned, and charged a mail in connection with the matter, and a report had been submitted to the Procurator Fiscal, but did not state the identity of the man. In early October 2007, a forensic search of a house was conducted in Sousia, Hampshire, where police believe Tobin lived shortly after leaving Bathgate. And it was on November 14th, 2007, Lothian and Borders Police confirmed human remains were found in the garden of 50 Irvine Drive in Margate, the house that Tobin had occupied in 1991. And the remains were of Vicki Hamilton. Vicki's body was found cut into two pieces and wrapped in garbage bags and buried. She was drugged and raped before being killed, but the exact way that she had died was undetermined. She had been strangled and had knife marks. In November of 2008, Tobin was tried for Hamilton's murder, where forensic evidence showed DNA and fingerprints left on a dagger found at the Bathgate house still, all these year years later, and on Hamilton's purse. It was found that Tobin had disposed of the knives and hid Vicky's purse under a portable building in St. Andrew's Square in Edinburgh. This was an attempt to make it look as if Vicky had ran away. He did not dispose of the knives well, though, because when her body was found, the knives still containing her DNA, like I said, were found in the formal, former home of Tobin. DNA of Tobin's son Daniel, who was a toddler at the time, was also found on Vicky's purse. But this wasn't explained further. On December 2nd, 2008, Tobin was convicted of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of now 30 years which in sentencing the judge stated they would have liked to make consecutive to the 21 Tobin was already serving if that was an option available to them, which I fully agree with, judge. But oh no, we're not done yet. Dina McNichol was born to Ian and Judy. 
She was the fourth child of five and grew up in a farming family with her dad being a part-time jazz musician. She had a rough childhood. Her mother was killed in a car accident when Dina was six, and social services attempted to take the children, believing Ian, her father, could not look after the five of them alone. He fought this and was able to keep his children, but it was a tough fight. Dina is described as being a bright and independent-minded young woman with a love of rave music, dressing in homemade or charity shop clothes, and wore her hair in dreadlocks. Her friends describe her as never being afraid to stand out. Sitting and listening to muddy waters with her friends in the park or dressing up to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. She did have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, so her dad describes getting a tape recorder and setting it up outside her bedroom door at full volume to wake her up and make her get out of bed. She was a good student and won a place at Sussex University to study religion and philosophy, but decided to take a year before going back to school. So when she was 18 in 1991, she went to a music festival called Torpedo Town in Liphook, Hampshire, where she met 26-year-old David Tremblay. The pair accepted a lift home from a driver who promised to get her to Brentwood, which was near her home. David got out first on the M25, and Dina was never seen again. For a week following her disappearance, her dad did not hear anything, but he wasn't concerned. He assumed she had gone to her grandmother's or sister's house after the concert. After a week, though, her dad became concerned and called her sister and grandmother, who hadn't heard anything, prompting her dad to get the police involved. Meanwhile, for ten days after her disappearance, Dina's cards were used in a string of towns withdrawing a few hundred dollars at a time, money that was compensation after her mom's death, until only a few hundred pounds remained. Dina's father, after, fell into a bad depression for years until Dina's body was finally discovered. Forensics discovered the poor girl had been sedated with any tryptoline, which Peter had a prescription for at the time. After raping and killing her with a knife found still at the scene containing Dina's DNA, Tobin buried her in the garden and then used her card to take out over £2,000 from her account. It was in late 2007 that police reopened the McNichol investigation after they received new leads. And it was November 16th when Dina's body was discovered, tightly bound and gagged, and wrapped in 16 heavy-duty garbage bags, buried under the concrete of Tobin's home in Margate, Kent. On September 1st, 2008, Tobin was formally charged with Dina's murder, and after defense offered no evidence why Tobin, why Tobin should be found not guilty, the jury deliberated for less than 15 minutes, and on December 16th, 2009, Tobin received his third life sentence for this murder. While Tobin was in prison, he claimed to have taken the lives of 48 victims, but this has never been proven. Because of Tobin's convictions, there is speculation that he is Bible John, who was a serial killer that murdered three young women in Glasgow in the 1960s. Like I said, ATWWD did a podcast on this, if you're interested. There are similarities that have been speculated, but the police have never commented on the similarities. They were going to check into surviving forensic evidence, but believe that through the deterioration in storage, a DNA connection being made to Tobin is um, unlikely. So currently, Peter Tobin is 74 years old and is serving his life sentence at Her Majesty's Prison in Edinburgh. He is still incarcerated, but has cancer. And the last report on him was from December of last year, when he was 73. He has cancer and weighed at that time only around five stone. There hasn't been an update since then, so I think the latest, latest update was January just saying that he, you know, had cancer and was given about a few weeks to live. 
but apparently before being officially diagnosed, he had a history of faking disease when in the hospital. Dina McNichol's brother has stated that he hopes Tobin both tells the truth before he dies and lives to 100 so that he can suffer longer, which I absolutely understand. Um, going back to the confessing to killing 48 women, Tobin has refused to cooperate with authorities and thus the victim's families are really hoping that he does tell the truth before he dies. The father of Vicki Hamilton has stated that when Tobin dies, he is going to throw a huge party and he already has it planned. The most- so recent news came out, like in July, that someone is actually now living with their family in the house where Dina and Vicky were found, but the homeowners say that they're not bothered by the tragic past of the house and they're happy to have a bigger house than the place they were living before. And that is all the information on Peter Tobin. This was a way more grim episode. I know my last episode was super light and I was like, yeah, this is, you know, a good light episode. Mm-hmm. Better be happy that you listened to that episode or if you're listening listening backwards maybe go listen to that episode now because it's a lot lighter than this episode but still I hope you enjoyed I'd never actually heard of Peter, Peter Tobin before so that's why I wanted to investigate this serial killer a little bit more because victims deserve to have their stories told as well I wanted to find more information on Vicki Hamilton there was not a lot of information it sounds like she was just a good student a sweet girl um, there's a lot more information on Dina and Angelica, but and no information, of course, on the 14-year-olds because they were underage at the time. If you're interested in donating to the podcast or for more information or to submit a listener's story, we love anything to do with paranormal, true crime, please visit tellingnosisandtea.com and there you can send in your story, find more information, donate, whatever you want find our social media links. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you guys. I will talk at you guys next week. Bye!